Why do you think people fight with each other? Uh, I don't know. Um, um, I don't know. Well, they might got, they might have like had a bad day because they don't like each other because they're really mad because they didn't didn't want anybody to share the snack. If somebody does something like they don't. They don't want them to do, and the other person wants wants to do it really bad, and they say no, you can't do this. Oh, uh, because they don't get along. If people get on the pe other people's nerves, for me. they're trying to get people to be mean to other people. They get their way. If someone does something like bad, like something bad for you, and then they don't say anything, and then you, you become mad and angry. But to protect their uh, identity. Because they get mad at each other. To resolve a conflict. Because they take my stuff sometimes. They could have got bullied. Because like, they've had like conflicts in the past like where they don't get along, and they've just like held that grudge, and they just don't get along anymore. Going. We have such smart kids here. Would you agree with that? Good morning, Willow Hills. Good morning, podcasters, podrishioners, or afternoon or evening, whenever you were tuning in. But thanks for tuning in. Glad that you're a part of this. I'm Greg Boyd, a teaching pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. Um, recently, my daughter and son-in-law and their three kids moved in with Shelly and I. They're selling their house and building a new one. That's going to probably be six months or so. So uh, the Boyd Hotel has gotten kind of cozy lately. Um, plus, we already had a, uh, two people living with us, one upstairs, one downstairs. So it's, it's getting cozy, cozy. But we love it most of the time. Um, we, it gives us a chance to play with, get to know a little better, get more involved in uh, the lives of our, our kids and our grandkids. And since I'm a grandpa, I get to brag on my grandkids. Here they are. Uh, these are three of my five grandkids. That's Buster on the left, and it's Sage in the middle, and it's Eden on the right. Yeah, they're beautiful. You'll, you'll agree with me that they're the cutest kids on the planet. Yeah, they're just adorable. They're just adorable. As cute as can be, except when they're not. <laughs> it's amazing how they can be adorable one minute, and the next minute it's meltdown time. Uh, several days ago, I was up in my office, and I'm doing some work. I hear this blood-curling scream. You'd swear there's a little kid getting pins put into her eyes or something. Um, Eden has this gift. It's a remarkable gift. Uh, she can hit a pitch that is supersonic. It, it's, it, it pierces your ear. It goes to your bone. It, 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 she, I, I'm surprised our windows haven't cracked yet. She hits a scream, and it's just incredible. And she can be happy one minute and then screaming that scream the next minute, and then she's happy again. It's, 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 it's crazy. So apparently Buster had taken a toy from her, or maybe she had taken the toy from Buster, and then Buster got it back. However it went down, Buster ended up kicking her, and so the apocalypse happened. Uh, and it, it was just, it was a complete meltdown. Um, the, the ironic thing about kids is that as cute and as adorable as they can be, we just saw a video of a full of all these adorable kids, uh, they are, I think every parent will agree, the surest, clearest, most compelling proof that we are a fallen race. <laughs> it, it's true. I mean, no one has to teach kids how to 
how to lie, uh, how, 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 to, how to kick when you're mad, how to take something because they want it even though it's not theirs. You don't have to teach kids that. It's just kind of, the wiring's there. We're born innocent, but we don't stay innocent for very long. And, and as a parent, I can tell you, it's amazing how quickly we lose that innocence. Uh, you know, the little cute little Johnny knows how to lie. It's, in, it's in, in, in instinctive. And so there's this tendency towards self-centeredness and nastiness that's just part of our fallen nature. Um, sadly, many people, I even want to say maybe the majority of people, don't outgrow uh, that self-centeredness and that nastiness, which is why our world is full of nastiness. Nasty conflict, nasty fighting all over the place. Just look at the presidential election if you don't believe me. <laughs> is this not getting ridiculous? Uh, you know, and I know the, the, the Democrats in the House are probably thinking, well, that's just the Republicans. The last week, man, they had a meltdown in Nevada and a brawl took out in the convention. And, and it's, it's all over the place. It, it's, uh, I read an article recently which said, if, if you value your friendships and family, don't talk politics for the next eight months. Because it's explosive. I mean, it, we, have all, we always have this ideological divide here in this country, but it's gotten so deep in the animosity and, and the anger. It's just, it's, it's just entrenched. And they say it's going to get worse, and we're not even in the general election yet. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It, it, it's, it's, it's like watching an over-the-top reality TV show. In fact, it is. That's what the news is turning into. So it, 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 it's crazy. Um, but that is just kind of a slice of, of, of life. I mean... The nastiness is all around us. I, I don't know if it's just my perception has changed or if things have changed, but it seems to me that people really have short fuses these days. Uh, so, so much anger, road rage stuff. The other day I was driving and a lady in front of me gently honked her horn beep, because the person in front of her, the light had changed and this person was texting or something. So she's like, hello. Well, this guy got really ticked off, let her pass him, and then drove in front of her, cut her off, and then stopped right in the middle, of, stopped all the traffic, and starts backing up into her. And she's like, no, 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 no. And, and then he, he finally pulls forward and she passes him again, and, and, and he, he's, he's like tormenting her. It's like, if I would have had a phone, I would have called 911. I was like, what if this guy would have had a gun? Sometimes they do. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, we live in a fallen world filled of nasty conflict. So this series is not going to be about how to avoid conflict because you can't avoid conflict, but how to not have conflict be nasty. In fact, we want to be looking at how to, how to, how to respond to conflict in ways that are productive and helpful and godly and Christ-like and reconciling. And we'll be looking at it at all different levels, in our families, in our neighborhoods, uh, along political lines, along racial lines, you know, at the work, uh, workplace. We're going to cover the gamut. Flesh and blood, it is called. So uh, what I want to do is set the theological foundation for this uh, and, and for this whole series and then kind of give uh, some practical tips uh, on the basis of that. Here's the thing. What is the root cause of this nastiness, uh, this fighting that's going on? God created us. Um, ultimately, the purpose for his creating of us was to have humanity reflect his perfect oneness, the loving peace-filled unity of the triune God is to be mirrored in human beings and reflected among human beings. Amy, a worship leader uh, who did an incredible job this morning, um, she referred to uh, this, this prayer of Jesus in John 17. Uh, I'll read it. It's, it's John 17, 20-23. Jesus says, My prayer to the Father, my prayer is not for them alone, for his disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The proof that Jesus is for real is to be the way that we're able to manifest the loving unity of God. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. That's what glorifies God. I am I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now, Jesus' prayer here is for his people, disciples, kingdom people, to recover the, God's original plan for humanity. God, out of the fullness of his love, created others, us, to participate in this love and to reflect this love. And that's how we glorify God. We, we become mirrors of the triune God. That's why John says in his first epistle that, that no one can see God, but they do see God's love in us. We're to be the kind of the billboard for God's perfect loving union, unity. So we're created for love. And we're created for union. And we're created for peace with one another. But we're also created for a certain kind of war. We're, we're, we're created with a, a fighter instinct. We're created for a certain kind of conflict. Um, it's not to be against other people, but it is to be against a real enemy. You, you find signs of this even in the Genesis narrative, little hints of this. So, for example, in Genesis 128, it says that God blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And then it says, and subdue the earth. The word that is used for subdue there is kabash in Hebrew. Well, I, I don't know if people still say this term, but when I was growing up, we used to say, uh, well, you put the kabash on something. You see, is that still around? Language changes. Kabash. And that, that can't be a coincidence that, that that happens to be the Hebrew word that's used there, but, but it, it means subdue, as it's translated usually. It, it's a word that was used when one army would conquer another army or when the king would put down a revolt, you'd subdue it, you'd kabash it. Now, the question that it raises is, what was there to kibosh before Adam and Eve fell? Because they hadn't fallen yet. This is, this is part of the original human mandate. Something in your environment is supposed to be kiboshed. Then we find in Genesis 2, verse 15, it says that the Lord God put the man in the garden to tend and watch over it. And that word for watch over is samar in Hebrew. And it has a connotation of protecting against something or guarding against something. Uh, and so the question is, what was there to guard against uh, before the fall? What was there to subdue? What was there to protect against? Well, we, we get an answer to that question in the very next chapter, in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, there we hear about this serpent that shows up and ends up ruining everything. And so what this is teaching us is that God's original plan for humanity and for creation uh, depended on us loving the way we're supposed to love, but also fighting the way we're supposed to fight. We are born with this fighter instinct. And what it means then is, is, is that, that that tendency towards aggression and that fighter instinct that everyone has to some degree, it is not itself bad. Now maybe the way we use it and the way we direct it is bad, but uh, the fighter instinct itself is part of our being made in the image of God. God fights the principalities and powers, uh, the serpent. And he creates us to also fight the principalities and powers, that serpent to guard the earth, to protect the earth, to subdue the enemy, to love the way that we're supposed to love. Um, I, I, I've known some parents who, when they get how, how central nonviolence is to the teachings of Jesus and to the, Jesus' revelation of God, when, when, they, when they understand that, they try to put a kibosh on all aggression in their kids. Um, and, and so they won't 
like let them have any toys that could be used for conflict or that symbolize conflict. They won't let them play any games that have any kind of conflict. And they don't want them to play video games that have any kind of conflict or, or anything of the sort. And I deeply respect their passion for nonviolence. That's good. But I really don't think that trying to get rid of all aggression in your kids uh, is going to be helpful or even possible, really. You know, you give Johnny two little cars, and the first thing he does is <laughs> crash them up together. Give him flour, becomes a nuclear weapon. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of inbuilt there. But I don't think it's necessary um, to, out, uh, to rule out all kind of aggression. What we need to do as parents is, from a very young age, begin to tell them about the real enemy that that aggression is there for. You've got to fight her instinct, and that's good. But, but it's to be directed not at other human beings, but against the principalities and powers. There's one creative family at Willow Hills who several years ago told me that they were having a fight with their son, um, 13-year-old son, about violent video games. Uh, they, they, they didn't think it was appropriate. And, of course, he was having uh, a lot of trouble with this because most of the games have some kind of violence in them. Well, they, they hit on a middle ground that I think is pretty smart. Uh, he's allowed to w play violent video games, but not video games that have violence against humans. Uh, so he gets these zombie, you know, things and... Are, are, are zombies technically human? Are, they, are the Walking Dead still human? I don't think they're human. I know they're, they used to be human, but now they're. <laughs> so you, you, you can kill them. Um, you're actually doing them a favor. Uh, the beast and the aliens, and, and they, 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 they tell it. They tell this kid now, when, when you're shooting at those things, you remember that what you're shooting at there are demonic forces, the forces that try to make you sin, the forces that are screwing up society and screwing up the world. Blow them apart. Because you're, you're fighting on behalf of humans. That's a pretty smart, I think, way of, of, of handling this kind of co conflict. So the fighter instinct in us is not itself bad. It's just supposed to be directed in the right direction. Here's how Paul puts it in, in uh, Ephesians 6. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, our struggle, rather, is against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These are the principalities and powers. This is Satan's reign here. This is Satan's kingdom. And our struggle then is not to be about flesh and blood. If it's, if it's got flesh and blood, it's someone you're fighting for. Uh, but rather, our struggle is against the principalities and powers who are always trying to deceive us into thinking that the other person is our enemy. Because if we're directing our fighter instinct towards a flesh and blood enemy, we're not going to be directing it at the, the principalities and power enemy, our real enemy. In fact, if, if we're shooting at another human being, directing our fighter instinct at another human being, we're being played by the powers. Because their, their, their primary agenda is to separate us, to divide us, to undermine uh, God's goal for creation uh, by, by fracturing us, uh, us up. So the primary way we fight the principalities and powers is by refusing to ever make another human being our enemy. Refusing to, to refuse to ever not love another human being. That is itself warfare against the principalities and powers. So the ultimate reason why we have so much nastiness in this fallen world is because people are misdirecting their fighter instinct. Uh, the main reason we have so much nasty conflict in this world is because um, people are being played by the principalities and powers. The main reason we have this nasty conflict is because people aren't shooting in the right direction. They're not fighting the, the enemy, so they're being played by the enemy. Because if you're not subduing the enemy, the enemy is going to be subduing you. And so whenever you see this conflict, whether it's in your own family or whether it's in the uh, political scene or whether it's on road rage or whatever, whenever you're seeing nasty conflict, uh, being manifested, frame it like this. You are seeing people who are being played by the enemy. You're seeing people who are misdirecting their aggression. 
Uh, and because they're not fighting the right enemy, they are fighting the wrong enemy. So that's a theological kind of edifice that we're going to be building on throughout this, this series. And now I want to like, apply it by offering kind of three basic principles uh, that we can apply to our life as we do this warfare. Number one, embrace conflict. Embrace conflict. Don't run from it. Um, a lot of people think, so far as I can see, a lot of people believe that uh, peace is the absence of conflict. I actually think that is a disastrous definition of peace. Because, see, if you believe that peace is the absence of conflict and we're called to be peacemakers, then you will spend a lot of time trying to avoid conflict. And you'll think you're, you'll think you're bringing, bringing about peace by doing that. But, see, that's disastrous it is itself a ploy of the enemy. Because if you have conflict in your heart uh, in a relationship, then the, there's a conflict in the relationship. And you, maybe you're not hollering and fighting the other person, but there's still conflict in the relationship. So avoiding conflict, leaving it unresolved as a way of bringing about peace is only a way of ensuring that conflict stays in the relationship and stays in you. And that's not good for you or the relationship. Uh, when there's conflict, we need to be out loud about it. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, a very important passage. He says, Ephesians 4 says, Speak the truth to one another. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For you are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. That can be translated, go ahead and be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Okay, this is important stuff here. Put off all falsehood. That means no pretending. If you're ticked, be ticked. <laughs> but deal with it. Okay, speak the truth to one another. Um, the word truth in Greek is aletheia, and it means uncovered, unconcealed, or revealed. If you're ticked, reveal it. Un un undis dis disclose that. Uh, get it out of the inside, out in the open. So put off all falsehood and speak the truth to one another. And then he says, deal with it. Deal with it quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. If you're angry, be angry. But don't sin when you're angry. And the way you would sin if you're angry is by not dealing with it. So if you think that, that, that peace is the absence of conflict, you've got a sinful definition of peace. Uh, to not deal with it is sin. To go to bed with it. And see, here's what happens. Um, Paul says that, that, that when he, he says be angry but don't sin, he uses the word orge. It literally means heat, something hot. Um, and that's not itself sin. We get angry, we get hot whenever there's something that we value that gets devalued. Now maybe what you value is sinful or idolatrous. Maybe you put too much value on it. But the fact that you get mad when it gets devalued is not itself a sin. That's, you're wired that way. Okay, so you, you get hot. But then when he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, he uses a derivative word. It's paraorge. Orge and paraorge. Uh, and the prefix para means under or submerged. So it really should be translated two different ways. It shouldn't be anger for both words. Be angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger down under, or it's sometimes translated bitterness. When we don't deal with anger, you go to bed with it night after night, it, 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 it becomes part of you. It's like, in time, if you do it enough, it's not even about the issue any longer. It begins just to pervade your whole being. It's a kind of cancer. We are not wired to walk around with anger on the inside. 
There's all sorts of medical studies that have shown that it's, it's bad for us physically even, and mentally, and, and spiritually. It's just, we're not wired to carry on anger. So Paul says, if you're angry, deal with it. Don't go to bed with it. Don't pretend that you're not angry. And that is how you give the devil a foothold. Uh, he is the prince of darkness, and whenever we create darkness by pretending, by creating a duplicity, our front is different than our inside, our appearance is different than reality. Whenever we create that duplicity, we're, we're creating darkness, and he's the prince of darkness. And he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus says, John 10, 10. And so the, when we invite him in, we are, we are uh, polluting our own being with para-orge, with bitterness, and we're giving the devil a foothold and now a chance to kill, steal, and destroy. He works to damage us, and he works to damage the relationship. All because we're trying to preserve peace. In the name of peace, we end up destroying bringing destruction into our own life and destruction into the relationship. Uh, there's a guy that I knew a number of years ago, or I met a number of years ago. Uh, I'll call him Fred. Like some of you, I'm sure, he um, uh, came from a good Christian family. Check that. Uh, he came from a Christian family. And um, this family believed that peace was the absence of conflict, and the father strongly believed that uh, good Christian families don't have conflict. They, they, they have peace. And so this family put a premium on avoiding conflict. Avoid conflict at all costs. Um, so whenever anyone would bring up an issue, which happened very rarely, but if they spoke a lot about an issue, they were either ignored or they were shamed into silence. And so this is a family that, that has never dealt with stuff. Whatever issues were there, they swept under the rug. Whatever anger was there, it just stayed hidden. So this was a family that went to bed on bitterness every night. Uh, and this is a family that was giving the devil a foothold every night. This is a family that had a thief who came to kill, steal, and destroy, getting deeper and deeper roots all the time because they weren't dealing with issues. Um, Fred told me that in his late teens and early 20s, he, he started getting mad about this, uh, angry at how the family lacked genuine relationships because they wouldn't deal with things. He was angry about the artificiality of things, and he was especially anger, angry about what he thought was unfair and, and uh, uncaring, the uncaring way that his father dealt with him and his two siblings. Um, and he began to say it out loud. He began to speak the truth, at least the truth as he saw it. And the father initially responded by uh, trying to ignore him, and when that didn't work, he responded by trying to shame him. And when that didn't work, well, the father eventually just cut him off. Just wouldn't talk with him. And when I met Fred, he was in his 30s. He'd gone 11 years, and his father had not talked to him. In fact, he, he, his brother suffered the same fate two years later. The father cut off the relationship there. And so in the name of preserving peace, this family ends up harming all the individuals in the family. Fred told me that he had a truckload of therapy-worthy issues that he had to work through, all because he'd been swallowing anger for years and years and years. And every individual in that family had that. But the family itself was largely destroyed. Uh, because they didn't guard against the enemy and played into his strategy, uh, the enemy succeeded in deceiving the father into thinking that his two sons were an enemy and treating them as that. When we don't deal with conflict, it destroys us. Folks, genuine peace, biblical peace, is not the absence of conflict. Uh, biblical peace, the term is shalom, shalom, and it refers to the wholeness and the harmony of God, the wholeness of God. It's, it's about being fully alive. It's, it's about things being rightly al aligned. And see, if two people agree, are, are striving for this, you can work through disagreements in ways that manifest shalom rather than negate it. 
The, the shalom that God wants us to be living in isn't something that it needs to avoid conflict. It's, it's something you can bring to conflict and helps you work through conflict. I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm a theologian, so I'm going to guess. That's what theologians do. Here, here's my guess. I, I think that, that, that there would have been conflict. Adam and Eve would have had, had times have had disagreements even if they hadn't fallen. Just think about this. Uh, but they would have worked through it in a shalom kind of way. Very quickly, they wouldn't avoid it. They would have worked, worked through it. How could they not have conflict? He's a dude and she's a woman, uh, you know, and the difference between those two uh, goes way beyond plumbing. <laughs> you know, there's just a different wiring there. It's that men from Mars, women from Venus kind of thing. So there would have been times, I'm sure, when, when well, I'm not sure, I'm guessing, but the times when, when they would have seen things differently and times when, uh, you know, they would have been baffled at how each other thinks. <laughs> like, how, how can you think that way? Uh, and there, there would have been times, I, I, I would venture to guess that there would be times when they'd be irritated with each other. Um, but they would have dealt with it in a shalom kind of way, quickly. Uh, Adam would just say, Eve, hun, dear, could you chew that apple a little more quietly? <laughs> Some people chew real loud. Anyone else irritated when they can hear saliva? And <laughs> Sometimes they grunt when they eat too. Hard. <laughs> It's like, it's like walking dead. <laughs> so, yeah, hon, can you just try? And she would have probably said, you know, uh, sure, honey, I'll try, but this is kind of how I was created, so I might forget. Oh, thank you, dear, but do try, because it really irritates me a lot. <laughs> you work through it in a shalom kind of way. You know? I sometimes wonder, and here's another theological guess, but if Adam's first sin wasn't eating the forbidden fruit, but was rather conflict avoidance. What if conflict avoidance was the original sin? Have you ever wondered why Adam just went along with Eve on this thing? Especially because he was the one that got the direct message about not eating from that forbidden tree. Uh, Eve got it from him, but he got it directly from God. So you can understand why Eve might you know, screw up. But, but Adam got it directly from God. So why did he just go along with this program? He should have confronted this. He should have said, Eve, my dear honey, lovely, um, uh, what have you done? <laughs> this is crazy. You, you need to right now spit that fruit out of your mouth and, and, and go tell that serpent to take a hike and, and, and go apologize to Yahweh right now. We, we, we can make this better. And I think they could have made it better if it would have stopped at that point. But uh, he, he, he didn't. He didn't stand up to her. He just went along with it. Um, no, if he had confronted her, Eve might have gotten mad. Maybe he was thinking about this. Eve might have gotten mad at that. Like, you say you love me. You say you care. You leave me out here alone in this predicament. You don't love me. You don't care. She might have even said, fine. You're going to leave me alone in this thing? We're not going to do that one flesh thing anymore. No! That, that's probably it. That's, that explains everything. And husbands have been, have been dreading that threat ever since. <laughs> sure sign of the fall. Here's my ace. <laughs> no more one flesh thing. So he gets mousy and he doesn't confront. He goes along with this whole thing and it was, of course, a disaster. Now, I don't know if, if, if any of that's true. <laughs> but this is true. The first step in, in, in having a healthy, godly, productive response to conflict is to acknowledge the conflict. Embrace the conflict. Don't settle for a very unhealthy absence of conflict. Uh, which is just an illusion, don't settle for that artificial piece when what God wants for us is genuine shalom, right? Genuine shalom. And, and we're to bring that to all of our, the conflicts that we're involved in. 
Acknowledge it. Be out loud about it. Okay, here's the second point. We always remember that you're fighting the powers. When you're in a, a, a situation of conflict or you're, you're going to be confronting it, remind yourself that, that it's not just about you and the other person. There is a real force out there, forces out there, that want to deceive you into thinking the other person's the enemy, so then you'll feel like they're an enemy and you'll treat them like an enemy. And that's where the nastiness comes from. Be aware that we are caught in the crossfire of a cosmic battle, and these things want to always divide us. Uh, if, if the conflict is with another person, uh, I, I, another, um, of course it's another person, unless you're having a conflict with your dog, but I'm not going to be talking about that one. Uh, if it's with another kingdom person, the disciple of Jesus, it really helps if it's a serious conflict, if this is a serious issue, not just your run-of-the-mill kind of conflict, but this is serious, to at the start have a kind of a covenant that you're going to agree to, to do Ephesians 6.12. Just say, say it out loud, like you're a believer, I'm a believer, so can we agree that we're not each other's enemy? This is a difficult issue we've got to work through, but, but, but we're on the same side. The real enemy is going to be trying to divide us. So can we agree to work through this issue in a way that keeps the powers at bay, that, that subdues the powers? Can we guard against the powers? It's very helpful to stay mindful of that. Now here's the thing. Once you're in the conflict, it's probably too late. You're not going to remember it. When you get in a conflict and you get triggered, your amygdala gets activated, your prefrontal lobe cortex, which does all your reasoning, uh, shuts down. This is why we tend to be very stupid when we're mad. We do stupid, stupid things when we're mad. Because we're not thinking. Because we, we can't. Our amygdala is now shooting out all these chemicals through our, our body. And your heart starts to pound, and you either want to hit them or run away. That's your fight or flight reflex. It comes from your re re reptilian brainstem. So basically, when we're really ticked off, we turn into reptiles. How's that? Don't wait until the conflict to start thinking about this. You know, we don't do anything good unless we practice it. Right, try, try hitting a home run if you've never swung a bat before. If, 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 if we're serious about responding to conflict in godly, healthy ways, think about it and pray about it ahead of time. In fact, I encourage you in, in prayer, think about the, the situation uh, that you're confronting or that maybe you're already in, and in, imagine, envision yourself responding the way Christ would want you to respond. Envision yourself remembering that you're fighting the powers and, and you're refusing to not love the other person. And, and, and see yourself doing that. Um, and go over it and over it and over it. You're practicing for reality because what, you, what you're really doing there is you're, you're having faith. Faith, as I often teach here, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it, it says that faith is, uh, seeing is a substantial reality, making a substantial reality of something that you anticipate. You see it concretely. You experience it in your mind, something that you anticipate. And it creates this conviction that it will be so. When Jesus says, that, according to your faith be it unto you, he, he's, he's giving a life principle here. The faith that we have in our mind, it, it sets the course of our life. And so you're having faith that this is how you're going to respond to that conflict situation. You're having faith that that is the real you, and you should have that faith because that is the real you. You've got the spirit of Christ and the character of Christ inside you. It just gets bottled up sometimes. But you want to yield to the spirit and manifest that character in that conflict situation. And if the other person is a believer, um, make that covenant with them. Ephesians 6. In fact, I encourage you, uh, if it's a real serious issue, to pray together. And, and uh, pray against the powers that are going to try to divide you. You create a union there. And that is the strongest way to resist uh, the enemy, who's always trying to get you to think that the other person is an enemy. Do you have, ever have these conflicts where, and this sometimes happens in marriage, uh, where um, the more you try to solve the problem, the worse the problem gets? Yeah? Any amen, sir? Uh, you, you know, you, you, it's like those 
things where everything you say gets misunderstood, you know, and, and it, it just, it, your, every attempt to solve something just is like pouring more gas on the fire. It's like, I, oh, I didn't mean that. No, when I said that, what I meant to say was this. Well, you said this, but what about that? It doesn't answer. Then you end up speaking in tongues to one another. And you don't understand one another. It's, just, it's like it gets worse and worse and worse. If it's possible, and you won't feel like this in the middle of the thing, but sometimes if you can just stop and say, okay, wait a minute. We're kingdom people. We're being played here. We're being played here. And unite and say a prayer against the enemy. Uh, take authority over that. Subdue that enemy because he's trying to subdue you. Yes. And... I, I've done that in a number of contexts, including here at Woodland Hills uh, and, and some staff issues. And, and when you stop and pray together, sometimes you can just sense the atmospheric change in the room. It's like, it, it's tangible. It's like the fog is gone. You just sucked all the, the hostility out of the room. And now you can begin to talk clearly. You can understand one another. Because some of that confusion was not, it, it was the result of the influence of the powers. You're being played. You're being played. I, I find this has especially been helpful in having difficult conversations around issues of race. Because reality is that uh, the sins of America's past and the sins of America's presence have fed powers uh, for centuries, and they're strong, and they, they, they operate along racial lines to keep people divided. And they sow seeds of confusion and hostility and suspicion and, and, and all sorts of things. This is why race discussions in this country don't often go well. Uh, there's more involved than just two people or two groups talking. We got to remember that there's principalities and powers. And so in the kingdom, when we have discussions, it's really good to first pray and say, we are on the same side. And we may misunderstand each other. We may have different perspectives about things and, and all sorts of stuff, but we are on the same side. And we're going to fight for one another by resisting the powers, by refusing to ever not love one another, and refusing to have each other as an enemy. Amen? Amen. Amen. So remember, you're always fighting the, pow the powers. And the third thing I want to say is this. And I've got how much time here? Five minutes. Plenty of time. Uh, this is one I cover quite a bit, so I can just do a review here. But it's foundational to everything. And that is always stay connected to your one true source, who is Jesus Christ. And by that I mean get your life and your identity and your worth and your significance and your sense of security, all that core need of yourself, from, get it from what God thinks about you as he revealed it on the cross. You have unsurpassable worth. And regularly drink deep from that. You, we will not be able to respond to conflict in healthy, godly, and productive ways if, if, if we're clinging to some idols, if we're getting worth from some other things. Um, we, are, we, we give the enemy a foothold, and, and we allow ourselves to be played. If you get your life, for example, if you get your life, if, if some element of your life is wrapped up in you in being right, um, well then see, in a conflict situation, being right will be more important to you than loving the person who thinks you're wrong. And, and, and that, that idol of rightness is allowing the enemy to come in, have a foothold, and they'll play you off against one another so you end up feeling like this person is an enemy. Because some aspect of your identity is at stake. If, if your identity is wrapped up and you're getting your way, all right, and then getting your way will be more important than loving the person who's not letting you get your way. And that idol of, of control is going to invite the enemy in to be, play you guys off against one another and you'll see each other as the enemy. If, if your idol is respect, you deserve respect, well then... Getting that respect is going to be more important to you than, than loving the person who's disrespecting you. And you're inviting the enemy to come in and play you off against one another. 
We won't be able to respond in godly, loving ways and fight the real battle we're called to fight if, if any aspect of our identity is wrapped up in things other than Jesus Christ. To the degree that we've got idols, and we're getting our life from how we look and who, like, who approves of us and all of that. To that degree, when we talk about issues, we're not just talking about issues. Our identity's on the line. And whenever your identity's on the line and you feel threatened by something, you can't help but get nasty. Uh, but a person who's got, whose fullness comes from Christ and who regularly is drinking deep from that well. Well, see, now when you talk about issues, whatever, however difficult the issues are, at least your identity isn't wrapped up in them. And that can give you a perspective uh, that, that means that you, you, you don't need to feel threatened or lessened or demeaned by however this thing turns out. You're empowered to respond in a loving, Christ-like kind of way. I got uh, a real nasty letter last week. Nasty, with a capital N. First time in my life, yes. Yeah, I know. No, no, no one's buying that. Okay. But this one was really particularly nasty. I, I, the, apparently something I said and something I wrote, this guy didn't agree with. And I mean, among other things, he, he called me a racist against white people, <laughs> which is kind of strange. Last I checked. Um, yeah, I'm a racist. And the reason I'm, I'm a racist against white people, he says, is because I talk about white privilege a lot. And I, I talk about how a lot of white people have a myopic perspective, but don't realize that they just kind of normalize their perspective as being everyone's perspective. And then they don't understand when someone has a different perspective. Well, that makes me uh, a white racist. So there you go. And I'm un-American. I'm, I'm anti-American, in fact, because um, I talk about uh, how America is not a Christian nation, never has been a Christian nation. But I talk about the sins of America's past, including slavery and our treatment of Native Americans. And that makes me anti-American. He says, uh, you're siding with the terrorists when you say things like that. <laughs> now, see, why couldn't you just say, hey, I read your myth of a Christian nation, and I disagree for these four reasons. That would have been helpful. It's like, okay. And then I would have refuted him. Uh, but um, <laughs> this nastiness, why do you got to go there? Believing as I do that all nastiness comes from idolatry, I think I stepped on a couple of idolatrous toes. Maybe the guy's got an idol of white privilege. Maybe the guy's got an idol of not having any shortcomings. Maybe the guy's got an idol of believing he lives in a God-blessed nation, a favored nation or something like that. But I clearly tripped him up. Now, when I first read this, I'll be honest with you, I, uh, my heart beat a little bit. And... Um, I could feel my fighter mechanism starting to get turned towards him, and I was getting loaded up, and I was going to, moron! There's a little tug there. But I have had quite a bit of practice on this one, so I was able to catch myself, and, and I, I just stopped, took a deep breath, and I just remember where my worth lies. My worth and significance and security and lovability and value doesn't come from what somebody thinks about me or what someone says to me or whether they treat me respectfully or not or whatever name they call me. My worth comes from Jesus Christ alone. I've got it. See, I've got that. And so I just enjoy that for a moment. I enjoy that. And now that, that means nothing of my core identity is on the table here. Uh, and so now I'm able to remember if my amygdala gets activated, I wouldn't remember this, but I remember that this guy has unsurpassable worth because Jesus died for him. He's made in the image of God and Jesus died for him. And my most fundamental job as a follower of Jesus is to agree with God about that. And so I can stop and start to bless him. And it allows me to remember that there are powers that are trying to play me right now. I hate being played, don't you? I hate being manipulated. Well, that's what's going on every time that we start shooting at another human being, or our words or thoughts or actions. We are being played. I just refuse to be played. And so I, I remember that the, the, that that impulse to turn my fighter mechanism on this guy, that comes from the evil one. 
And you know what? Final word I'll say about that is this. It feels so good to do this. It feels, it's like a fringe benefit. We should do this even if it's painful. And sometimes it can be painful because you're crucified for doing it. But, but it feels good. It's because this is how we're wired to respond to conflict. When, when, when you can respond to aggression peacefully and lovingly, it's like you're, you're, you're above that. You, you don't get sucked into the undertow. You're, you no longer are being pulled by the tit-for-tat thing, the eye-for-an-eye, tooth-for-tooth thing. It feels really good just to pour on love when another person's pouring on animosity. Uh, it feels really good not to have to always be fighting for your identity, doesn't it? To, to not have to be, you know, feeling threatened when someone says something about you or doesn't like you or disrespects you or calls you a terrorist or whatever. It feels really good to be above that. You're free when your life is found in Jesus Christ. So folks, embrace. Amen. Amen. I encourage you. Embrace the conflict. Don't run from it. Um, remember that you're always fighting the powers. We're in, in a war zone here. And have that awareness. Rehearse for that. Practice that. Have faith in that. And um, get all your life from Christ. All the time be going back to that source, drinking deeply, letting God just pour his love on you because that's the food that your soul was created to eat. Uh, you, you can't do anything in the kingdom, including responding to conflict in helpful ways, uh, if you're not getting your full life worth significance from Jesus Christ. Would you stand? Uh, I'd like to call the prayer teams up here. And if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, uh, come on up here and, and uh, they'd love to minister to you with that. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, but maybe you want to find out about it and you're interested in that, um, I encourage you to come up here and talk with these folks. They would love to get you started on telling you about what it means to follow Jesus. Father, as we leave this place, I pray that we would do it uh, with an openness to your spirit to remind us that we're in a war zone, to remind us not to run from conflict, to remind us that you are our full and only source of life. As we go out into a very nasty, conflicted world, help us to be peacemakers, but not artificial peacemakers, real peacemakers, shalom makers. In Jesus' name, and all God's shalom makers said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Don't forget the barbecue.